Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world, whatever time you're tuning in, welcome to this week's Thought Leaders webcast. My name's Cole Fink. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you, everybody? Uh, if you haven't already noticed, what I, what I love is, if you can, turn on your video and uh, mute yourself for now, but you have the power to unmute yourself and say hello. Uh, because I like to hear from you. And so with that said, how about let's go to someone that looks really distracted. Deb Bailey, you look distracted. <laughs> Got you. How about you unmute yourself, Deb? Say hello. How are you? Hello. I was typing my keyboards over here. That's why I was <laughs> distracted. <laughs> do, you, do you always have a keyboard at 90 degrees to where the screen is? Is this a habit of yours? Or? Well, yeah, because I have my book here to write in. Oh, and so fabulous. My keyboard's over here, you see. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's not that. very ergonomically friendly, I don't think. But anyway. But it, it means that you're not going to use your keyboard, and that's great because I don't want you to. <laughs> hey, what are you up to, Deb? What's going on in your world? What's going on in my world? Well, I've, I've got the dreaded lurgy, not the, not the COVID one. but Not um, the lurgy, but no, a lurgy. Just, just the normal lurgy. So yeah, I've been right. a bit under the weather. But, oh, um, bummer. But other than that, no, just... Um, yeah, having having a, a little bit, feeling like I'm having a bit more success with some clicking conversations. So that's good. Oh, wonderful. I love that. Yeah. Getting my pitter-patter right. <laughs> Brilliant. Hey, uh, everybody on this call, if you're not presently speaking, please make sure you're muted. Uh, what that does is make sure we don't get lots of background noise and feedback and all that kind of stuff. So you can unmute yourself if you want to chat, but if you're not talking, please keep yourself muted. Um, Hey, can someone, anyone, just unmute yourself and ask how my day has gone? Is that all right? Can someone just unmute yourself and say, hey, Cole, how's your day been going? Hey, Cole, how's your day been going? Oh, thanks, Jen. Glad you asked. Um, not so good, actually. My car caught fire. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know, right? Crazy. So um, just before we get started, I promise everyone we're about to get to pink sheets and books, but I just really want to tell this story because it's kind of funny now that my car hasn't burned to the ground. So spoiler, it didn't, it didn't complete the job. I haven't lost my car. Um, so my brother has a very narrow definition of the word irony. So like he thought that that song by Alanis Morissette was terrible, couldn't stand it. He's very, very keen on ironic, meaning very, one very specific thing. And the best example I can give you is drowning in the fountain of youth. Is, is like the archetypal Cam's definition of, of, uh, of irony. And anyway, I think something ironic happened to me today where my car caught fire. So there was an electrical fault under the engine bay and I noticed the smoke and I quickly pulled over and I opened the bonnet and it was only my technical abilities, right? My skills as a technician, because I'm a bit hands-on, it was only my skills as a technician that allowed me to identify the electrical short that was causing the problem and before the car completely went ablaze, I was able to chop some wires around it, remove the offending component. And so uh, the car's inoperable, but it's still a complete car. It was those very same technical abilities, which five years earlier had seen me make some modifications to said car. <laughs> and I dare to suggest it was probably those modifications that caused it to catch fire in the first place. So rather ironic, my technical ability set fire to the car and put it out again. So <laughs> There you go. Anyway, good news. Don't have to buy a new car. Bad news. Got to wait for the parts to come tomorrow to fix it. All right. <laughs> hey, everyone. Lovely to see you. Um, can, I, can I just get a yes in the chat box from you? If 
you feel like you might be here on this webcast engaging in a bit of thought leaders love because it's like Netflix without the guilt. So just give us a little bit of a yes or a, or a, or a nod if you're here because it's like Netflix, but it's not as you don't feel as guilty. Okay. There's an irony in what I do. What I do is empower you to work and, um, and be completely uh, in total self-control. And the irony is that I do that by coming and helping you. And there's this tension that I constantly feel between the help that I want to give you and, uh, and the ways that that could disempower you. And one of the things that I think could be happening right now is some people are, and we've got a bunch of yeses in the chat box, uh, watching thought leader stuff going on rather than doing thought leader things, right? rather than being a thought leader. And so we've currently got 57 people on the call. And if there are only three left after I make this declaration, I genuinely don't mind. If you would be better to go and be a thought leader right now and do thought leadery things than you would to participate in a webcast about how to turn pink sheets into a book, you can watch this replay whenever you want, whenever you're actually writing a book, you can always come back. If this was the kick in the butt you needed to just go and do that thing you needed to do, send some emails, make some calls, whatever it's got to be. If you need to be a bit of a thought leader for a while, please go and do that. That would be a way better use of your time than rabbiting on with me. Um, <laughs> no way, it's 6 p.m. here. Love that tip. Hey, uh, I'm actually totally happy for everyone to stick around, but one person left. Yes, success. What I would love to, two people, perfect. That's brilliant. Maybe those people are going to go and make calls. Maybe those calls are going to connect. Maybe that will lead to a clicking conversation that leads to a blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and maybe See you later, mate. <laughs> See you, Graham. Good lad. There we go. Maybe that's going to, maybe that's going to generate some business. I reckon we just made some money collectively. So I'm really happy with that. Um, and I invite you all to expand your awareness around who you are and what you're doing as often as you can. Um, Hands up if you go through periods of the day. Uh, it's most obvious when you're driving and you suddenly go, crikey, how did I do the last five kilometers? I don't remember any of that. You're just completely on autopilot. Does that happen to you? Hands up? Yeah, that happened? Yeah. You know that happens to you at work as well, right? Like that you sit at your desk and then you're just like, crikey, what happened? I wrote that or I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the projects that I'm on at the moment is to be as aware of as possible of who I am and what I'm, who I'm being and what I'm doing at as many moments throughout the day. And uh, it's amazing what you can catch yourself doing <laughs> or not doing if you expand that awareness. So I invite you to give it a go. And yeah, social media, Brad, so bad for it. I mean, and hands up if you're a bit of a tech addict, whatever, like you get drawn into Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Is there anybody on the call who's a bit that way? Okay, that's not good. Right? It's not great. And have some compassion for yourself. There are 10,000 people with PhDs in how your brain works, whose job it is to control your thinking and control your behavior. And they have billions of dollars at their disposal to control your behavior and they're winning. There's only one way to beat the system. Don't be in the system. If you can't use Facebook in a way that's healthy and powerful for you, 
uh, swearing alert, quit the fucking thing. Delete your account. That is the only way to win. If you can't use Instagram correctly, like in, in moderation, 10 minutes a day, quit the thing. Okay. I'm sorry I swore, but I needed to. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of wisdom that came from my wife. She said, you can't beat the system. You can only choose to be in the system or not in the system. They have a lot more money and resources and they know way more about how your brain works than you do. Uh, and so don't be down on yourself when they're winning. Just quit the game and play a different one. Nobody ever says I quit Facebook and I missed it. Nobody's ever said that. It's not that good. Okay, awesome. Hey, um, in the chat box, put a number which represents the number of books that you have written. Put a number in the chat box. How many books have you written? Zero is a perfectly acceptable number. I'm just interested. God, three, four. Wow. Minus one. <laughs> Did I see a minus one? <laughs> Dear idea. What does that mean? You set fire to a book? Okay, cool. Um, put a number in the chat box that represents the number of books you've written using pink sheets first. So you did pink sheets and then you wrote a book rather than you just wrote a book. What do we got? Oh yes. Paige Williams says one because she just published uh, anti-fragile. What's it called Paige? Remind me anti-fragile something, something. Paige, where are you? Hello. I'm here. Hi Hello. Tom. How are you Paige? <laughs> I'm well, thanks. Tell us about your book. Tell us about your book. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's called Becoming Anti-Fragile, Learning to Thrive Through Disruption, Challenge and Change. And yes, yeah. I use pink sheets. Woohoo! Um, tell us, how, how, did, how did the process go for you? What, what, can you give us a, like a 30-second synopsis of how you wrote your book? Sure. Um, I hate writing. Um, and right. so pink sheets were the hack for me. So I wrote the pink sheets and then I turned the pink sheets into a blog for about six months. And then I landed upon anti-fragile and then I re-looked at all the blogs through the lens of anti-fragile and then I topped and tailed it with some solid research around anti-fragile. Yeah, That's nice. That's the 30-second version. Cool. So what you're saying is that through the process of writing, you actually uncovered what it really was you were talking about. Is that, is that, is that right? I kind of, I kind of, I read it in Mark Manson's book and then went, holy moly, that's the thing I've been looking for. And now yeah. everything comes back through that lens. And so the blogs I wrote for the first six months, I then kind of went back and rewrote maybe 20% of them through the lens of becoming anti-fragile. Yeah, perfect. Oh, that's wonderful. And now you have a finished book. Congratulations. <gasps> Thank Whoa. you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Paige. Uh, so I recently finished a book as well, and I definitely started with Pink Sheets. Um, in fact, I've written two books. One book I wrote primarily with someone else's pink sheets, actually. Uh, I wrote Speakership with Matt Church and Sasha Coburn. And that was mostly Matt's IP. Um, and so that was working from someone else's pink sheets and building out some of my own knowledge and um, insight. And my most recent book, uh, Tribe of Learning, if you don't have a copy and you want one, just send me an email and I would love to send you a copy an electronic one for now, because we're going back into lockdown. Oh. <laughs> um, what my latest book, Tribe of Learning, was written with the aid, not just of some pink sheets, but multiple years of pink sheeting around a topic before the book was written. So I, I had a, it almost felt like writing with a cheat code. Uh, it's like when you're playing a computer game and you just have unlimited life or something like it's just, it, it, it was so easy to write. And the reason was I had some 
not just some, but a whole host of pink sheets finished. And so what I want to talk about today is some of the lessons that I've learned and some of the ways that you might apply them um, and some kind of structures and practices that I would encourage you to uh, adhere to or at least adapt um, as you go through the writing process. And hopefully, like my goal for this session is that you will, when you write your, your next book, that you will write a better book more quickly that's easier to publish. Okay, so the goal is that you write a better book more quickly that's easy to publish, easier to publish. Uh, so my wife, Mish, is an editor. In fact, uh, she edited Paige's book. So there you go. Um, and I've learned a lot about words and structure. I'm not a linguist, um, as she is. And so I've learned a lot from her. And, uh, and I'm going to start there because I think linguists have done a lot of the work that we don't need to be deeply familiar with, but across um, in order to, uh, you've distracted me in the chat box, Monique, you got me onto the question of, do I have pink sheets about how to write a book using pink sheets? And the answer strictly is no, but sort of, we're going to create some together today. Uh, <laughs> so I want to start with a, a couple of comments about um, traditional kind of editorial book structure, and then we'll go and then we'll turn it into thought leaders language. So if I was to say, that there's such a thing as a topic sentence. Does anyone on this call know what a topic sentence is? Have you ever heard the phrase topic sentence? And if that's you and you can say, yes, I've heard of that, feel free to unmute yourself and tell us what's a topic sentence. Anyone heard of that before? Literally no one? A statement. Janine, I, I reckon you're on the right track. Come on, Janine. Come on. Uh, hello. Hi. Hi. Yes, I'm here sitting in the background. I guess for me, I'm writing a book using pink sheets right now and with my A statements, they're essentially my topic statements for each paragraph that I'm writing. Oh, yeah, perfect. You have just totally cracked the nut on the very first shot. You're exactly correct. Thank you, Janine. So uh, in, the, in the world of linguists, when they talk about a topic sentence, uh, what they're talking about is if you imagine there's a paragraph of text, right? So there's all, all this text. And if there's one particular bit of text where the point of the paragraph is being made, that's the topic sentence. So there's one, if you look at, at properly structured copy edited um, text, each paragraph will have one chunk of it somewhere. It doesn't have to be at the start, can be, but there's gonna be a chunk somewhere called the topic sentence which is the point. The point. Hmm. Where do we usually see the point? Of course, Janine kind of gave us a spoiler on this one, but where do we, you, we, us thought leaders in thought leader land, where do we usually see the point? Gunner Party is on it, in the middle of a pink sheet. Now, how many paragraphs do you reckon exist in a normal book? <laughs> have, let's have a guesstimate. How many paragraphs do you suppose is in a book? <laughs> 500, 4,000, 4,000, that would be a big book, but I reckon 500 
to a yeah, thousand maybe, a lot, <laughs> a lot. A, a, a book with 52 paragraphs would be a relatively short book. Does that make sense? Like, so we're probably not gonna have a pink sheet per paragraph, are we? Like that seems unlikely. We're certainly not gonna start there. But I think that the relationship between this topic sentence and the pink sheet, I think we should explore that a little further because I reckon there's gold in there, okay? And this is where I recommend you begin when you're gonna write a book using pink sheets as your guide. Um, do you know what fractals are? Is anyone, does, does the word, yep, getting a few thumbs up. Does the word fractal mean something to you? Um, maybe, it's, maybe it'd be more useful if I said, does the word fractal not mean something to you? Is there a reasonable percentage of people on this call for whom the word fractal is nerdy sounding and you don't know what it is? Okay, there's a few. So what fractal means is that uh, no matter how far in or out you zoom in on something, there's always detail to be seen at that level of zoom or at that level of abstraction. So when, you, when people talk about fractal artworks, they're often computer generated and they're these things where you're looking at a canvas and there's all this detail on it. And as you zoom in, even though you're getting closer and you would expect that there'd be less detail because you know, there's a limit to how much it can be, more and more detail appears as you get closer and closer. And you can zoom in as much as you like forever and more and more detail keeps appearing. And equally, you can go the other way. You can zoom out and out and out. And as you move away from the canvas, more and more stuff just appears into the canvas. That's fractal. It means that no matter how far away you go from something or what level of abstraction you get from it, the complexity remains the same. And I would argue that ideas have a fractal nature to them. So it doesn't matter how close to an idea we get or how far back, how abstract away from an idea we get, there's still an equal amount of complexity all around it. So I think of ideas as existing in a hierarchy where down here is really like deep and detailed. And up here is really like big picture, whatever. And your book is going to capture a set of ideas somewhere on that scale. You know, you, your book might be these bits. Does that make sense? Or equally, it might be these bits. Or it might be these bits. Have you ever read two books that were on the same topic and yet they they had a really different flavor because one of them was very technical and detailed or something like that. And another one was kind of zoomed out, airy fairy. Is that, is, is that an experience that you, you've kind of, do you relate to that? Uh, Isabel, and by the way, has just said patterns slash quantum mechanics um, in the thing. And I totally agree. This is the nature of the universe, not just ideas. Doesn't matter how far in or out you get from the universe there's massive complexity. So I reckon that there are books which are written about kind of the big abstract ideas. And I reckon there are books that are written right down in the detail, but that it doesn't matter. Um, 
how high or how low you go, you could always go further. Your job is to work out where on that scale is it useful to pitch your book. Now, I reckon you know when someone has pitched a book or a talk or anything else too high or too low. So when someone pitches something too low, too far down the scale for you, you go, oh, this is so detailed and boring. None of this is relevant to me. I don't care. That's your reaction when you see someone who's pitched it down really deep and detailed. And then when someone's pitched it up too high for the topic, you sit there going, what is this person talking about and how does it have any relevance to the real world? We've all been to a presentation where someone used lots of big, fluffy, flowery words and none of it actually meant anything. <laughs> I'd argue that was a presentation or a book which has gone too far up the scale. And what I want to encourage us to do with our pink sheets before we start is find this magical point in the middle somewhere which has the right spread. It gets the right points in there. We talk about the right stuff so it can be useful and relevant to people and meets them where they're at. It's not so detailed that they get bored and they don't care. It's not so abstract that it kind of doesn't relate to them or give them any meaning. It's right in the juicy middle bit where they get to work it out. Uh, James, do you want to unmute yourself and ask the question you put in the chat box with whatever nuance or whatever you'd like to add to it? Yeah, sure, Ken. Uh, Carl, um, I was just asking, you know, I've got uh, work that I, people want the detail, the how-to, yep. but my heart is in the big picture why you're doing that how-to. Yes. And so I sort of get pulled between the, the two ends. Yeah, awesome. Um, your pink sheets, do they, do you have pink sheets that are up at the high end and do you have pink sheets that kind of dive down into greater detail? Uh, most of my pink sheets are high end, I would think. Yeah, cool. Um, do you see there's, I, I have two reactions to this, James. My first reaction is um, when we're in commercial conversations, we need to make sure we're giving people what they need. Uh, and so if the, if your audience is desperate for practical how to stuff, and you're never supplying it, um, say there's gonna, you're gonna find difficulty in finding a resonance with them. And so in a sense, you wanna be market led a bit and make sure you're providing what they want. And in contrast to that, I think that all the best thought leaders follow their own proclivities and follow their own um, curiosity. And if you're in no way curious about the, the super detailed stuff, you're probably not gonna do great work pursuing that stuff. And so I guess hold the tension between am I providing the market what it wants and am I, am I following my kind of passion and purpose and obsession? And obviously the ideal case is where you can have those two things overlap. And wherever you find a case where your passion and your obsession overlaps with what the market wants, that's I think when you're going to, a black belt practice appears basically. Um, so I don't want to tell you what to do in that case, James. I want to invite you to play with that tension and, and explore the possibility among it. Is that a useful, is that a useful 
frame or filter to think about it through? Oh, yeah, I've been playing with that tension for uh, a while now. Like the big picture is free will. The small detail is what to say. And there's a big yeah, gap totally. in between. Oh, man, I want to have a conversation with you one day. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right, I'm going to leave Thank your you. question slightly unanswered. Sorry, mate. You're, uh, I don't think that question has an answer. Um, I think you're taking on kind of one of the core tensions within the role of a thought leader in the world, um, particularly a commercial thought leader. And it, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to solve. All right, let me try and get this back to a practical point, <laughs> he said. Here's what I want you to do first when you start playing with pink sheets that are going to create a book. You can do it either in a spreadsheet or you can do it in a mind map. And what I want you to do is start wherever you want. Start grabbing the statements from your pink sheets. Okay, so we're going to have a whole bunch of pink sheets that look like this. And what we're doing is we're grabbing the point out of the middle of each of them. And I want them in a format where you can move them around. So for me, that's electronic. For you, that could be on post-it notes. You might end up with a whole bunch of post-it notes, each with a statement written on them. And what I would like to see is something that might look like this. Okay, it's a pretty standard sort of, um, I don't know, what do you call it, a flow chart or hierarchy where each of these nodes is one of these post-it notes. It's one of these statements. And essentially what we're trying to find out is how do the statements live in relationship to each other? Give us a quick yes in the chat box if you've got more than say 30 pink sheets in the domain of expertise within which you're thinking you're going to write a book. Give us a quick yes in the chat box if you've got more than 30 pink sheets. Great. Do you know exactly how they live in relationship to each other? Now, some of them that will be quite obvious because there's a model that they all relate to, like they all draw from a single model. And so the relationship between them is relatively clear because the model makes it clear. Sometimes though, I reckon we go, oh, I've got a bunch of statements here, but I don't necessarily know exactly where they live. The great challenge of writing a book is that you have to take something which is not, um, in most cases, naturally linear. So almost every domain of expertise will involve interconnected thoughts and ideas. Almost every domain of expertise will involve massive complexity under the surface. And yet you're trying to present it in a book which goes in a straight line from the start to the finish. Don't underestimate how difficult that makes this process. I think a lot of us, because um, the way that we've done learning for most of our lives has been through writing, I think we've all... Um, gotten this impression that writing is supposed to be the easy thing to do. It's the way you get ideas down. Ideas are very complex and they don't necessarily live in simple straight hierarchies or especially in a straight linear thing. And yet here you are trying to create a purely linear path to unpack a complete set 
of complex interconnected ideas. It's a big, big challenge. So what I want you to do is get all your statements and create a hierarchy with them. You can do it either with a mind map uh, type thing like I've drawn here, or, and this is the way I've done it, I create a spreadsheet. I do it in Evernote, but you can do it in Excel or whatever. So there's a spreadsheet like this, and it's really the same as the previous thing, right? It's a mind map like before, but I've got a statement here, and then there's a bunch of sub-statements for that one. Does that make sense? And then this one has some sub-statements, and then there's more down here. And so it's kind of like a mind map, but it's expanding out in a spreadsheet. That makes sense, okay? I want you to get all your ideas out and make a map of them. Katie's off to do some work. I love it. Bye, Katie. Have fun. I want you to make a map of your ideas. And what I want you to do is notice that there are different ways you can slice them to create a linear progression. So one example is, uh, if we go back to this one here, one example of a linear progression would be to go by layers of the hierarchy. Does that make sense? So I'm going to make this point, then these two points, then these points, and then these points, and I would go down through the hierarchy in that way. That's one possibility. Another possibility, using exactly the same um, mind map, exactly the same hierarchy, is I could go down through this critical path. I'll switch colors so we can see what's going on here. I could go down through this critical path. And then I could come down through the next critical path, like lightning bolts, if that makes sense. And each of these would, could have merit. And what you would experiment with those different orders and work out which way does the IP I'm teaching lend itself to in order to start to get these ideas across. You see the same kind of pattern happening in a pink sheet, uh, sorry, in a spreadsheet style. You could do everything in column one first, and then come back and do column two, and then come back and do column three. And that could be your progression in a linear format. Or you could do all of these bits first, and then all of these bits, and then all of these bits. And I think the key to writing a book for me to writing a book easily is to do that bit first. I reckon the biggest uh, time sink, it's gonna say time waster, but it's not a waste, it's just more time consuming, is to try to work this out on the fly when you've got bulk words. <laughs> because cutting and pasting huge blocks of text is really complicated and you get lost in it really quickly. So I want you to try and do this straight. The pink sheet is a perfect tool to use it because each statement captures the point and all the rest of it's going to flow on from there. And each pink sheet could turn into either a whole chapter or certainly a chunk of a chapter. But we haven't gone and done all the work of, of creating all those words yet. Once you've got 40 or 50,000 words in a document, trying to reorder it is an absolute nightmare. It's so hard. But when you've got like 
500 words organized into 50 or 100 points, moving them around is something that your brain is big enough to like see all in one chunk. And so I really, really want you to do that bit first. What will end up happening as you go through this process is you will find gaps. You will realize, well, Struth, there's meant to be, you know, a whole bunch of stuff coming down off this bit, which I don't have yet. So this is where you get to create like five or 10 pink sheets in five minutes. Because all you need to do to create a pink sheet is just make up the middle statement. What's the point you need to make to complete this area? Write that on a post-it note, slap it down, kapow, pink sheets. Up by one. Now, of course, you're going to come back and you're going to find a story and a metaphor and blah, blah, blah. But just get the point out. Create that pink sheet. Create a placeholder for it. <laughs> Paige, it's hilarious. I'm going to show you my book structure soon, and it's exactly that. I would way rather, when you're building your book, that you have the right number of incomplete pink sheets than the wrong number of complete pink sheets. Does that make sense? So I would much rather you had pink sheets that represent what needs to exist. That's way better than having a smaller number of pink sheets that have everything on them, but there are missing pink sheets. I'm not at all stressed about your pink sheets being whole and complete when you're starting the writing process. I don't care about that. My pink sheets, once I'm writing the book, are often just a point that live under a model. <laughs> The process of writing the book, then I fill in the rest of the pink sheet. But what I want you to have is a, at minimum a post-it note, a pink post-it note with a point written on it that represents that little chunk of the book. And if you were to go the whole way down, now to be clear, I don't go this far, but I go close. If you were to go the whole way down, right? If I was to zoom right in, <laughs> these ideas are fractal, remember? So we can keep zooming, keep zooming. If we were to zoom right in, there would be a point written here, which is the topic sentence for a paragraph. And if you can write a book that has a well-ordered, well-structured, linear progression through a bunch of points that land as the topic sentence, in a paragraph, you will create a very powerful piece of prose. Um, Brad, can we ask that question again at the end? Because I'd love to talk about that, but we'll just cover a couple more points first. So I'm now gonna share my other screen. Sorry, I've lost the button, but let's give it a go. Um, Okay, you should now be looking at my desktop, which is weird because you can see Zoom. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Evernote. Um, and I'm going to search for, oh, actually, I'll do it this way. So I'm going to filter my Evernote by engagement, which is the domain of expertise that I used um, for writing my recent book. And I hope now you can see engagement pink sheet map. Can you all just give us a quick yes in the chat box if you could see that before I flip back to Zoom? Yes, that was, that was a yes, I saw a thumb, fantastic. So 
this is my spreadsheet that I used and I made a whole bunch of statements in it. So this middle column here is the statement in my pink sheet. And um, the column over on the left is like the big word from the model that it's relating to. But I'm scrolling down through a whole heap of points. Now, what I want you to notice um, is that I don't actually have that much stuff written down in the bottom of the pink sheet, which is the right-hand two columns, because I'm a bit of an I reckon thought leader, and that is where the holes exist in my stuff. But I, I have this whole big table of points that I'm making, okay? And then when I put them into Scrivener, if you look over in the far left-hand corner here, so this is Scrivener, um, and it's the 47,000 words that uh, the book Tribe of Learning. And the thing I love about writing in Scrivener that I much prefer to using Microsoft Word or an equivalent thing is the fact that all the text exists on cards. And these cards, you can have as much or as little text on them as you like, but they're just little chunks of text. And because they're on a card, you can move them around as easily as you can move a post-it note. And so when I started this book, which was uh, two days after immersion in February, so it was like the first or second of March, I said, that's it. I'm going to write this book. I went to my pink sheet uh, map, right? So my list of all my points in the hierarchy that I'd created them. And I dragged them across into Scrivener and I just made a card with each point on it. So I just had a list of, I think it was like 60 or 70 cards. So 60 or 70 pink sheet statements about what I wanted to say in the order that I'd worked out that would make a linear progression through this IP as useful and um, understandable as possible. And what that meant was when it came time to actually write the book, all I had to do was click on a card and there would be like a statement, just a line of text. It's sometimes a paragraph, but not very often. And all I had to do then was expand on that point. And if I had a pink sheet, like a complete pink sheet around it, then I already had a story to tell. I had some data to back up. I had a model to unpack or whatever. Some of them, I only had the point. And now through the process of writing the book, I'd be like, what's that like? And I'd come up with a metaphor or when did that happen? And I'd, I'd find a story or whatever. And so the pink sheets would get kind of reverse engineered at that point in the process. But having the point that I want to make, for each little part of the book is the key thing for me that allowed me to write. I had a goal, 500 words a day, every day, no matter what. And I would, reg I would always write 500 and I would regularly write between 1,500 and 2,500 because I had all these points that I already knew I wanted to make and all I had to do was flesh them out. In doing it this way, I've never gotten lost in my ideas. I've never gotten lost in the volume of words that I'm creating. I think if I said hands up, if you've gotten lost in your own words before, everybody that's written a document of any size would have had that experience. I did not once at any point in time through the process of creating this book, get lost. And I put that down to the fact that I had all these points in a clearly structured, clearly well thought out order. And all I had to do was go.
Hi everyone, is Cole frozen or is it just me? I think he's frozen. Yeah, sounds like he's frozen. <laughs> I think he's missing, missing in action. He's frozen. I'd suggest everyone turns off their, um, their video because that helps with the bandwidth. So if you all turn your video off, um, he might come back online. He's gone. He'll come back in his own time. He's in a caravan. He's got bad reception in his new house. Friends, have you got me? Can you hear me, folks? I'm back. Yes. Oh, oh, that's stressful. I'm terribly sorry about that. Um, did you get to see my Scrivener file? And <laughs> excellent. That was the key point I wanted to make. If you can get all your pink sheets, at least the statements, structured and in order, and then laid out in a spot where you can then come and just write them, you've removed as much as possible the friction and the challenge of uh, like creating and structuring the book from the writing process. And it's separating those two things to me is the key to doing this successfully. So uh, there's a question, what were the headings I used down the side of uh, my um, spreadsheet? What and how? I want you, what and how get flipped around in different worlds. Um, Matt uses how and what the way around that I don't. <laughs> so that's confusing. It's just a, a, a linguistic thing in English. But basically why, what and how to me means do why first, meaning start with the reasons that this matters. Start with the problems that this solves. Start with the journey that people are trying to, to go on. Start with the stuff that makes us care first. So to drop this down into really practical language, create a green sheet and then create a bunch of pink sheets built off that green sheet. So your green sheet's gonna have a value model on it, right? The value model is a journey. Can you do a pink sheet about each of the stages of the journey? Maybe a few. What are the top three things I need to know at that stage of the journey, that stage of the journey, that stage of the journey? What are the reasons? What are the benefits of being at each stage of the journey? What are the things to be wary of? So these are all ideas around why this IP matters, why what, the rest of the book, you know, someone's going to read a 40, 50, 60,000 word book. That's a big investment of time and effort. We want to first make sure they understand why they're doing that. And I'm going to go counter curriculum for a moment here. I reckon there's a thing in thought leaders land that says, make sure you do why heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps. And the reason we say that is because when you're on stage, it is critical. When you're speaking, you need to spend just about all your time in why, frankly. <laughs> that, is, that is where the magic and the connection happens. On paper, I reckon you wanna get straight to the point and be way more um, efficient 
and compact. If you want a good example of that, check out Smart Work by Dermot Crowley. It describes a method of productivity that doesn't align for me at all. <laughs> so I love Dermot, but I don't use that IP myself. But it's an incredible book to study if you want to see pink sheets turned into a book. You can see the pink sheets in the book. They're obvious. If you're new to this, getting Dermot Crowley's smart work and reverse engineering the pink sheets might be a really good strategy for seeing this happen. Smart work. That's correct, Robert. You've got it. It's an orange book and it's a bestseller, has a little bestseller sticker on it. The why section of Dermot's book lasts about four pages. It basically says you don't want to sit all day on the computer reading emails. You want to get stuff done and then go and have your life. It's really succinct. Gets straight to the point. And I reckon for books, that's a good strategy. It's the opposite to what you should do on stage. Susan's saying, with Scrivener cards, do you repeat yourself by accident, same story or study in different parts of the book? Yeah, sometimes. And in the editing process, that generally gets caught by someone else. <laughs> it's difficult for you to keep track of exactly where and how you've used different ideas. Um, I think you're less likely to do it if you've been diligent with your pink sheet card work first, like aligning it all, and occasionally you use the same story. There are times when that can be good. So there's a story that I use in Tribe of Learning about when I was 16 years old sitting in science class with my friend Emma, and I use that story twice in the book, once to introduce the idea and then a second time to unpack that same idea. Um, so it's not repeating the same content, it's using the same narrative to illustrate a point more, more deeply. Um, Paul's asking, have you ever used a professional writer like from Fiverr? I haven't. I love writing though. So um, that's cheating. <laughs> Can you get someone else to do your writing? Um, this is another one of those tension questions. Very few things will force you to interrogate your IP and learn to articulate it with precision and clarity, like writing a book will. And if you don't do that, then you won't do that work. And so you're missing an opportunity to become a better thinker and a better thought leader. So my strong recommendation is not to use a writer and instead alter your environment until writing is something that works for you. Um, there's lots of advice about, you know, bum glue, write a thousand words before doing whatever. Um, as most of you on this call probably know, I'm not a fan of discipline porn <laughs> as a way of getting things done. So I'd say find a way to make writing um, powerful, fun, whatever. Write on the beach. Use voice to text apps like Otter or something. Um, There's very few things that will make you a more powerful communicator than writing. 
Um, and I think if you look at a lot of the companies that are leading the world at the moment, their hiring process happens almost entirely in a written format because they actually find that more important in this day and age than the ability to communicate in person, strangely enough. So there you go. Um, yeah, I love that, Monique. Um, and I hated how old quotes always refer to men. It really annoys me how so many famous quotes talk about men um, rather than people. The other thing I'd suggest is um, if you find a quote attributed to a non, any quote attributed to a non was said by a woman. It's just that back then we didn't bother to remember their names. Um, so every time you see a non, just think to yourself, oh, a woman said that. Um, I'll bet she was cool. <laughs> All right. The writing process. Um, the temptation is to start writing because you want to see word count. This is my warning, I guess, before I send you off into the world and get into it. The temptation is that you want to get word count because that feels like progress. Word count and progress are not the same thing. And when you're writing a thought leadership book, structuring your points and knowing what you're going to say, that's progress. <laughs> At least the first half, that is progress. Only once you've got that stuff down, that then flipping to word count as a, as a marker of progress becomes a useful thing to do. And if you were going to exercise discipline at any point throughout this process, please do it in separating those two parts of the job. Let's, uh, let's talk one more thing. Um, and then if you have any other questions, throw them in as you go. Uh, this is a piece of advice that comes through my brother. And I think he's a graphic designer, um, typesetter, general, general design slash thinking genius. And um, this is going to make your book easier to edit and publish. You go into Microsoft Word, heading one, heading two here. Give me a quick yes in the chat box if I still exist in your world. <laughs> Yes, oh, phew. Okay, I want you to go into Microsoft Word. Apologies for the patchiness, folks. I'm, I'm, working, on, I'm working on it. Go into Microsoft Word or Scrivener or Pages, whatever you're going to do your writing in, and delete heading one, heading two, them all. So you've only got one thing to write in, and it's just like plain text. Now, when you want to put a heading in, create a new textile and call it heading one, or better than heading one, call it chapter title, or main heading, or heading level three. And it should be matching the structure, the hierarchy that you created in your spreadsheet or mind map. That makes sense? The danger of using all the default ones in Microsoft Word is that you change your IP to match the default heading and structure that exists in Microsoft Word or Scrivener. 
That's not the way this should work. The IP should dictate to the document what the hierarchy is. And so I want you to actively create that yourself as you go. So the first time you create a, a heading, you're going to create a new heading and you're going to give it, give it a name. It's going to have a semantic name. It's going to talk about its position in the hierarchy. And the next time you're making another heading that has the same level in the hierarchy, you're going to give it that same style, that same semantic name. That's going to exist for chapter titles. It's going to exist for main headings. It's going to exist for those little points that you make. You're going to have one for breakout text. So every time you do a quote and you want it to appear as breakout text, you're going to create a style in Microsoft Word called breakout text and you're going to highlight it and make it that. Now, here's the thing. They don't need to look different in Microsoft Word. That's not the point. Now, it's helpful if they do, because then you can see which is what. The magic happens when you then go to get it typeset. Because typesetters can say, hey, what do we want the, the chapter titles to look like? And they set them up. What do we want the heading main heading structures to look like? And they set it up. What do we want the breakout text to look like? And they set it up. And every time they change it, it populates through the whole document instantly. And they can typeset your book in a day rather than a week. And when you say, hey, can you change this and make it look like this or this or make that bigger or grayer or blacker or whatever, right? The typesetter can just go click, 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 bam, the book's updating. This extends all the way down to, if you want to emphasize a word, and I do that all the time, okay? So if you read through Tribe of Learning, you'll notice I emphasize using italics. Never, ever, ever highlight a piece of text and click italic in Microsoft Word. Because when you go to your typesetter, that will get lost. I guarantee it. So what you instead do is you create a paragraph style called emphasis. And you highlight that piece of text and you call it emphasis because that's what you're doing. That's the semantics of it. I'm emphasizing this. Now your typesetter can say, hey, let's try emphasize all the words that are emphasized. Let's italicize them or let's make them bold or underline. And that's all one button click away. If you're a super nerd, you can write in HTML, which is what Mags is saying. And it's basically this way. Okay, Linda has asked the question, how do you connect existing blogs? I've got tons of them. So your blog has a whole bunch of text. It's got stories and data and stuff. Where's that on a pink sheet? Okay, so you've got an existing blog with a whole bunch of stuff written in it. Roughly, where does that come from in a pink sheet? The content, the bottom and a bit the middle, exactly. So what I want you to do is look at your blog and say, what's the point on this pink sheet? And then you're gonna write that point, possibly with a link to your blog, either on a post-it note or in your mind map or in your spreadsheet. And you're gonna put that point where it lives. And you're gonna do that for each of your blogs. You're gonna reduce the blog. So you're going up in the layers of abstraction now it's not 500 or 1,000 words of detail. It's just one sentence that is the point that it's making. And you're going to take that point and make it portable by putting it on a pink sheet or as a little tag in a mind map. And now you can move around, move it around until you find where it lives. 
And so your job is to make that structure first before you bring in the burden of word count. So leave the blog away alone and just take the point out of it and find the structure and the order and the, and the, and the, the hierarchy first. And then when you go into Scrivener or whatever, paste the text of the blog and you're probably going to delete whatever's not appropriate for the, 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 the spot where it's ended up, but find the structure first. Um, Susan's saying, don't combine blogs into a book. And my, um, my, my, what would you call it? Uh, the snob in me agrees. I don't want a, a book full of blogs. And then the pragmatist in me goes, yeah, but reworked by Jason Fried and David Hanemeyer Hansen sold like multiple millions of copies. And it's obviously a bunch of blogs slapped into a book. So, you know, <laughs> it's possible to write a great book that way. Um, Jen, what's your advice on how to decide which book to write as one of our deliverables? Excellent question. There's a danger with writing books, which is that the moment you've finished writing it, you're over it. <laughs> you write a book and it's almost like the, 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 when you put the final exclamation point on the last um, sentence, that is also the final moment where you want to have anything to do with that IP. <laughs> it's dangerous. So, your job in thought leaders is to be commercially smart. That's why you're here. The way to be commercially smart is to look to the future and create um, what and to create your future. You don't want to write a book that um, captures your past. You don't want to write a book that is just an autobiography or a biography or whatever of your past. Now, what that might mean is you're going to write a book that's slightly more difficult to write because you don't know everything yet. Like we're drawn to unknown things as thinkers where we, we look into the future and the things we want to learn next. So I think the best book to write is the book that you wish existed because you're exploring this thing and you wanted someone else to write it for you, but they've failed to do that. Now, if you can smash out a 20,000 word book about something that you know really well and you have a good market for and you can make some cash with it, by all means, <laughs> knock it out, get it out there, use it to your advantage and away you go. You can write a 20,000 word book in a month, like easy, totally easy if it's IP that you know well. And so if you've got the discipline to just get that done and get some value out of it, do it. If, on the other hand, you're writing a book to set up the next 12 or 18 months of your life, I'd write a book about uh, something that is intriguing you and, in, and where your discretionary energy is going anyway, because that's the place where you're going to make real action. Um, Linda's asking a question about, you know, what are the, what, what's the ideal amount of graphics in a book, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't think there's ever an answer to any question like that that's definitive. Write the book that you want to write. My latest book, all the footnotes, I wrote them in by hand because I thought that would be fun. Break it up a bit and encourage people to write in the book, which is what I want them to do. There's nowhere that says you should do, 
you should write your footnotes by hand if you want this outcome. It was just an idea I had and I went for it. Um, okay, last question and then we'll go, hey. Um, somebody suggested I reverse engineer a book into pink sheets. I reckon that's really good advice. If you haven't done many pink sheets yet, finding the pink sheets in a book like Dermot's is a, such a good exercise. And what I hope you'll discover is pink sheets don't only exist in books and they don't only exist where people uh, used pink sheets to create them. Pink sheets exist in podcasts. They exist in newspaper articles. They exist in conversations. They exist everywhere. Do whatever you can to learn to recognize them and spot them in the wild and create whatever you can, whatever process that you use to capture them the moment they happen. If you wait 10 seconds, it's gone. Pink sheets exist everywhere. And if you can learn to catch them like butterflies with your little net, um, yeah, pink sheet TED Talks. My goodness. Everyone is one big pink sheet and 15 pink sheets underneath of it. Pink sheet per minute. Um, if you can learn to spot pink sheets out there, you will never run out of amazingly relevant, useful things to say. Um, if there was a habit that I just could not overvalue of mine, that's the best habit that I've got. When I see an idea or have an idea, the regularity with which I capture it in a way that I can use later is extremely high. And um, that's the foundation of everything that I do. All right, folks, I hope that was useful. Um, a closing piece of advice, structure your ideas. Use a mind map, a spreadsheet or post-it notes to get the structure right first, point by point by point. Find a linear progression through the complex miasma of your ideas Get that right first. If you can do that, the book just about writes itself. Um, and as, you do, as you're writing the book, share bits of it on social media. Get it out there. Don't do that Tada thing where you wait until the very end to show everyone. Just get it out there as you go. It makes way more value if you share it on the run. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. I hope your car doesn't catch fire. <laughs> I'll catch you soon. <laughs>